Father God, encourage us this morning and challenge us as we seek to live for you. Stir us up towards love and good deeds, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew's Gospel, we read this. I'm just finding it's a little bit echoey at the moment. Thank you. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out, to thrust out workers into his harvest field. Jesus sees the people like sheep that are lost, and, and he is the good shepherd. People need Jesus, the good shepherd, because they're harassed and helpless. The people that Jesus sees, however, are like a plentiful harvest, ready to be reaped for God's kingdom, but the workers are few. The need is urgent, so therefore send out, thrust out workers into the harvest field. That's how it was in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago in Judea. The harassed and helpless people and a great abundant harvest. How is it today? Well, I've got some information from the Joshua Project website. I just want to tell you a little bit about what Christianity looks like and Christian mission looks like. I don't know if you can read that, but I'll, I'll give you the details. Did you know that this year, 60 million people have heard the good news of Jesus for the very first time? 60 million. 165,000 people will have heard about Jesus and the good news of the gospel today for the first time. Maybe more because it's a Sunday. That's good news. Every year there are 50,000 churches started in our world. New churches. That's good. There's good things happening. We'll move on. There's been actually remarkable growth of Christianity. You think all these other world religions are growing, but oh, Christians are struggling. Well, if you have a look at this, you may not be able to read it, but this one here is all Christians. Buddhism, Christians, Hinduism, Islam. But what's the one that's bigger than Islam? Evangelical Christianity. That is Bible-believing Christianity. Not the traditional Christianity, but people who believe the Bible and who want to live it out. That is growing twice the size of Buddhism and Hinduism throughout the world. And much faster than Islam. God's Spirit is at work. We'll move on. Christianity has grown by more than 300 million believers. A lot of them may be nominal in the last 10 years. There have been 10 million from Europe and North America. Praise God for that. 290 million from places like India, China, Brazil and Nigeria. The good news of Jesus is going into our world when it can seem like stagnant where we live. However, did you know, and I've got this in the bulletin, there are 16,100 nations in the world. Ethnic groups, people who identify themselves as a clear group often with their own language. 16,100. Of those, 
6,000, next slide, 6,500 are still unreached. There's just virtually no ministry of Jesus amongst them. There's virtually no churches amongst them. Six and a half thousand nations. They may be small nations of 10,000. They may be large nations of millions. But very little Christian witness amongst those people. Their need is great. And here's what's happening over, over 200 and more years. The percentage of Christians in North America and Europe has gone from about 99%, now many of them may have been nominal, down to 31%. However, in parts of Latin America, Africa and Asia, it's gone from 1% to up to almost 70% of the population claims to be Christian. The whole shape of the world in terms of faith is changing. We talk about ourselves being a Christian nation. Did you know there are more true followers of Jesus Christ in China today than there are in the United States of America? They do not have all the money and all the visibility that the American Christians do. But that's where the Spirit's working powerfully. One of the places. It's good news, but the needs are still great. Next slide. Because, you know, it's not growing amongst us, largely, the Christian faith. In the Western world. In fact, here's the, here's the graph of missionaries sent out from the United States for the last 30 years. It hasn't changed or grown at all. People going to share Jesus in greater needed, needy areas. It hasn't changed. It has changed in the third world or second world countries, people, places like the Philippines and Korea, where enormous numbers of missionaries are going out now but not amongst us, because we're just getting lazy, it would seem, in terms of our... or or, or, or the culture around us is changing. Next slide. There are enormous challenges, however. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than in every other century before that, and I reckon the pattern is increasing. More Christians are being martyred, losing their life for the sake of their faith in Jesus. About 250 million Christians in 60 countries currently suffer severe persecution. Very strong restrictions or punishment because they follow Jesus. 250 million. About one in ten Christians suffers direct persecution across the globe. Now, none of us, you think you might suffer for being a believer? None of us are included in those numbers. We're talking about much more severe things. And it's severe, severe, severe to the point of loss of life, as you know, in North Africa and throughout much of the Muslim world. And severe in parts of India and other nations. North Korea is a whole other story. Next slide. There's a number of challenges about this need. Europe, America, Australia, we're thrown in, we're becoming post-Christian. Christianity is not the language, not the culture. We're seeing this increasingly, just even in the last week or two, if you follow our news. It's accelerating the post-Christianness of our underlying culture and the media messages. There's the rise of radical fundamentalist Islam as a threat. They're very, very purposeful. It's a threat to Christianity and the growth of God's kingdom. And in fact, as part of that, many North, North African And Asian countries are becoming increasingly restrictive on Christians and how they can promote their faith. 
This one's the one that strikes me the most. Is the harvest still great? 86% of the world's Muslims, Buddhists and Hindus do not know a Christian. Once you forget about unreached people groups, just the big groups of big religions, 86% of Buddhists, Muslims and Hindus do not know a Christian. Sure, they can hear radio. Maybe one day some flyer might pass through their town. Who knows? But they don't know anybody who loves Jesus. And there are, as I said, 6,500 nations not yet reached with the gospel. Can you see the needs are great? And if you come and look at our society, how many people do you know who don't really know a Christian? You know them, but they don't know you. Because you know the difference between knowing somebody and knowing somebody, don't you? How many people are there in our society who barely even know a Christian? They might know that Mary in the next office over there, she's a believer, but they don't know her. And all of their associates are not believers. And they just ignore all the messages about Jesus. They just go straight past them. Why should they listen? And we're living in a culture where it's increasingly hard just to say I'm a believer because to be a believer is moving from being something that society tolerates, oh yeah, you're a Christian, all right, whatever, to something we're becoming for some of the evil in society. That you're actually the trouble, you're the enemy we have to fight against. Our society's changing. There's great challenges. And yet so many people, like in Jesus' day, are harassed and helpless. The idols they serve are killing them. They're not finding satisfaction. They're just putting a veneer of emptiness and heartache. And they're facing the judgment of God for rejecting Him, for sinning against Him. Living lives of tragedy, increasingly protected by by legislation where we keep saying the individual can do whatever the individual wants and they live lives of tragedy. Do people need Jesus? This is my final talk in a series on mission. What I'm saying, mission is about alerting people to the universal reign of God in Christ. God is on the throne. The Lord Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. We've got to submit to him and be part of his kingdom. And I've been saying in this series, I hope if you've been here, it... it Mission is not so much about doing as it is about being. Be the bride of Christ. Let your light shine. It's not what you do for God so much as what you do with God, as you partner with God in His mission. Because He is Saviour. He is Redeemer. He is going to renew all things, the Lord Jesus. And we just partner with Him. With Him, not for Him. Not by our works as we be Christians and let our light shine. And so we've got to then shape our lives and our time and our relationships and passions around the reality of the mission of God. I kept saying, it's the way of the cross. It's the way of sacrifice. It's the way of giving. That's what Jesus calls us to. So you need to be on mission, sacrificially, out there, being. I want to ask a question, though, what is your mission landscape? You know what a landscape's like every morning if I walk out the front door of our house, there is a landscape before me. It is not the same as the landscape you see, except for a handful of you. You see a different landscape when you walk out your door in the morning. 
different choices as to where to go and what to do, right? Now, my landscape is actually very similar to your landscape because we all live in Sydney. How different is the landscape in Mongolia? How different is the landscape in Taiwan when you walk out the door and the choices you get to make? We all live in a mission landscape. There are opportunities, there are choices to make. The landscape you live in will shape your God-given mission. Because you will have unique opportunities that no one else has. And you will be able to, you will be facing choices that other people do not face. And that's a good thing. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a panel interview and we're going to listen to five people from our congregation in five different landscapes. And I'm going to be asking them, how do they go about announcing the universal reign of God alerting people to the, the fact that Jesus is Lord. How do they seek to go about that, doing that? How are they shaping their lives around God's kingdom and God's mission purposes? And they'll all be different. And I didn't ask these people to be on my interview panel because I thought they were necessarily the best people who are doing this in the most powerful way. But I do know that each of these four or five people are wrestling with these choices. They're being intentional. They've wrestled and said, what can I do to be more intentional about serving God and growing his kingdom in my life, in my mission landscape? We're going to start with Natasha Leong. Natasha was our speaker at our women's dinner two weeks ago, last week. And uh, Natasha, take a seat and we'll go into our little interview mode. Grab that. Let me tell you about Natasha. Natasha grew up mostly in our church. I've known her since she was a young teenager. She is an incredibly gifted person. She studied occupational therapy and worked as an occupational therapist and served mostly in this church and at a few summer missions and felt that God was calling her to consider making more, making more of her time available to his kingdom purposes. So Natasha at Bible College, at Moore Theological College. She's now left our church and she's with a university church of overseas students called Focus. She can tell us a little bit about that in a minute. She's working at Focus and studying full-time at Moore Theological College in preparation for Christian ministry. She is now in her third year, second year, time gets away. She's now in her second year of studies, probably I think Tasha's talking about four years of Bible College study. She's maybe, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe with a future in um, student work. But Tash, are we going to show some photos? You run us through your mission landscape from these photos. Um, That's more college. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't tell what that was. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> That's actually where I study and where I live. So that's uh, the view of college uh, from King Street. It doesn't look like a college from uh, the street. Uh, the facade looks like the, the classic kind of Newtown old school building. Um, yeah, so just behind that is like a whole other world, really. Uh, there's about 300, 400 students around day-to-day, Monday to Friday, um, going to classes, lectures, sharing lunch, morning tea, um, sharing life. Move the photos on. That's the, for those of you who've been to UNSW. That's the view of the main walkway, 
I think, down towards uh, Anzac Parade. Um, so part of my week on a Sunday and a Friday night is to uh, head over to UNSW down in Kensington and uh, hang out with the Focus International group. Uh, if we can go to the next one. Ah, yes. So food is a big part of what we do, as just as it is here. Uh, so we hang out over food. Uh, we grow relationally over food. Um, and we have Bible studies on Friday night. Uh, we have a church service on Sunday afternoon. Uh, next slide. That's my Bible study group sharing hot pot uh, when it was a bit colder. Um, so it's been a real joy to get to know Singaporean and Malaysian students, to see them grow in their faith, to see them being excited about the gospel, uh, and even inviting their non-Christian friends along to evangelistic nights and to Bible study and church as well. What, what, what's unique about focus? What, <laughs> what, what's, what's focus mean? Uh, so focus is the fellowship of overseas Christian university students. At UNSW, the congregation I'm a part of is the International Congregation, which is an English-speaking international university student um, group, primarily from Singapore and Malaysia. And I think what's unique about that kind of demographic is that um, you, you get to um, have a group of students who are studying at a particular point in life um, who are thinking hard about the Bible um, and even questioning what the Bible means for them. Uh, and it's a real opportunity to teach them how to read the Bible well, to grow in their faith so that when they return home where their church situation is most likely not like what they have here, to be confident and firmly rooted in the gospel for when they go home and to be faithful communicators of God's word wherever they go. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read there that you, Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, me, on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said what we call the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. How do you see your ministry now? Because you spend, frankly, you spend most of your week studying. How do you see your life and your mission impacting those great commands for the good news of Jesus to go to the ends of the world? Sometimes it's hard to see. I think you're right. Monday to Friday, a big bulk of the week is spent, to be honest, sitting at a desk, looking at a computer screen, writing down words and trying to make sense of things that we've covered in class. Um, but I think a big, part, and some, a big part of my week and something that I've been learning more and more as I've lived at college is that sharing life and sharing the joys and the struggles of living a gospel-centred life is a big part of what the week looks like. Um, I think a bit further afield, thinking about the kinds of things I get to do at Focus, at the moment it's hard, sometimes it can be hard to see where fruit might come from. Um, but thinking, I think, bigger picture, that the input and opportunity that I have in these students' lives at this time um, that God will use uh, for whatever he sees fit in the future. Okay. What sacrifices have you made? Have you made any sacrifices to be where you are? I think something that has been hard is 
um, thinking about, I guess, career. Uh, so I have been very blessed and to have the opportunities that I've had um, and, yeah, I guess enjoying the work that I was doing um, and kind of going, well, that yeah, that is probably not going to be where I'm heading in the future. I think something that has been hard and a sacrifice uh, is leaving here. I think being gospel-centred means that you're not always going to be tied to the things that uh, are comfortable and familiar, which is life here. Uh, so it has been a sacrifice to kind of go, the gospel is bigger than I am, uh, and that might mean leaving um, a church family that I know and love and knows and loves me. Can I ask you a very personal question? What's your taxable income? <laughs> you don't. Uh, you, you can you can generalise if you want. Next to nothing. Next to nothing. So you're living off reserves uh-huh. and help from other people. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. How's it been with the family? Can I ask that question? You you can but ask can the I question. Ask that question <laughs> Um, it has been hard, I think, particularly at the beginning. It's been challenging to communicate um, gospel desire in my life and understanding the cares and concerns, particularly of my parents, for me, which are right and good. Um, Yeah, and I guess it's been hard kind of having my life now because I'm going to a different church and living in a different part of Sydney, um, not, I guess, walking in the same way as I have. Um, But God has been gracious um, in that hardness. Um, I think he has grown our family and I've been encouraged in the way that they have loved and supported me through that. I've been encouraged too, Tash. Um, What role? One of the things I've been trying to emphasise in my series on mission is how important church is. That actually a major part of our mission is just being in a healthy church that loves Jesus and shining the light. How what how important is church for you, and how do you find that in the fact that you're actually like this is your church, but we're no longer your church. You're in a, and you're in a weird church where people keep moving, and you're just a hired gun sort of thing. How are you finding what's what role does church play, and how do you see that? I kind of think of it as like a a tour de France kind of idea. For those of you who like to stay up and watch people riding on bikes for hours, um, it's it's a team thing. So there's four people in a team. They're riding over multiple stages. And it's hard slog. And you're with your mates in the highs and the lows of the race. And I think that is a fitting kind of example or illustration of how I view partnership with church because what I'm doing isn't just me doing it. Um, Just as important is a bunch of people who are willing to ride the highs and lows to keep reminding me of basic gospel truths, to share the joys and the struggles of ministry and to keep you know, um, motivating me and encouraging me to persevere in those times when it's hard. Um, Something that I keep 
being reminded of is the privilege of being in community. Being a Christian would be really lame if you were someone who stood in the middle of the desert and tried to be a Christian that way. I think it's such a blessing to be part of um, community where, like I said before, you share life and you push each other hard, um, you challenge each other from what you understand the gospel to be, to be missional in whatever context you are. So you're, you're my example, Tash, of the person who's made the big decision. You've gone to Bible college, you've given your whole life to Christian ministry. You're on mission. Have you made it? Now, I, mean, I guess a bit of a loaded question because you're supposed to say no. But um, <laughs> what, what, what challenges are? Because I don't think you have. What, no, what I, don't think, I don't think I have either. No. Well, what are your challenges to be more, more kingdom-minded in your life at the moment? I think it's easy to think that because I've made the big decision that I have made it, but actually I haven't. Um, and just to kind of rest on your laurels and go, yep, I've, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on track. I know where I'm heading. But the more that I spend in Christian community and the more that I spend uh, in God's word, I see more of a reflection of the things that I still need to work on. So... I find it, I still feel the pull of the world just as much as anyone. I wonder sometimes what it would be like to go back to OT work um, and be a part of that. I often wonder what it would be like to be back in the secular world and be someone who comes along on a Sunday and gets to enjoy a Sunday as opposed to seeing it as somewhere where I need to be more intentional about who I talk to and what I talk to them about. Um, yeah, I feel selfishness creeping in. I feel pride creeping in. How easy is Bible college to be kingdom-minded? It's got to be easy, right? Or is it not easy? Like mission-minded. How easy is Bible college to be mission? God's kingdom matters and I've got to let people know about the universal reign of God in Christ. In some ways, I want to say, yes, it is easy because you're in a context where lots of people are thinking about that and thinking hard about that and thinking hard about what it means to potentially leave home, extended family and go somewhere else. And that, that, in that sense, yeah, it, it can be easy. But in another sense, I am in a Christian bubble. Uh, week to week, day to day, I rub shoulders with almost... 100% Christians. And in that sense, I don't have to think hard about being missional because everyone around me is a Christian. But I think as we kind of keep engaging with the world, as I keep going to focus and spending time with students, I keep being reminded that, yeah, mission is not just about who, who, I, who I'm rubbing shoulders with, but um, being someone who lives out who I am in Christ um, and that's just as much missional as you know running a Bible study or writing a talk. Thanks, th thanks you, thank you Natasha. I'm going to get you to move two seats to the left and turn on that mic so that you can keep talking to us if you all like to and I'm going to invite Peter Chong and Sam Cheng to join me as a duo and you guys might want to grab a mic or share a mic I'll give that one to Tash and Tash, whatever you work. Yeah, you work now, why have I got these two young, young good-looking men up? <laughs> Thank you, John. 
Let me tell you about Peter and Sam. Peter's been part of our church pretty much his whole life. Sam for the last, oh, let me guess, five years. Both married to beautiful wives. But the big thing is they're both doctors, both GPs. Pete's been working as a GP in Tilopia with a real intention and a heart for that area. Where Pete works as a GP, you go to Tilopia, there's nice parts of Tilopia and there's rough parts of Tilopia. Peter is in the centre of rough. It is a really, really tough place. Lots of drugs, lots of family dysfunction, and Peter works as a GP there. He's just set up, having taken over a practice and moved to practice that he was working with. He's just taken up running that, but he's doing it now in partnership with Sam. They've set up a company, and they've actually got a practice now in Tilopia, in the rough part of Tilopia, and another one in Lidcombe, um, which was Sam's father's practice. The thing I've got them up for, they're in a new phase. They've been going with your, their new practice for two weeks, two weeks after a massive setup. The reason I've got them up is with their practices and their medical business, they want to be intentionally kingdom-minded. They want to run them intentionally and explicitly as Christian practices where they're not ashamed of Jesus. They also want to run them, as I understand it, as a non-profit and send good funds to overseas work of medical work. So I believe at the moment they're looking at, they've still got set up start-up costs, but I believe they're looking at blessing birthing kits for healthy birthing in Afghanistan and parts of Africa as an overflow from their practice. Now you can correct me if this is wrong, this is the information I was given. The big thing is they're trying to be explicit, saying we're running a Christian Jesus-glorifying practice in tough areas, particularly in Tilopia, and Lidcombe's not great. But look, rather than me talking about it, Lidcombe's nice. Lidcombe's <laughs> nice. Parts of Tilopia are nice. <laughs> Pete, can we just show us some photos? Pete, can you just run us through some photos? No, you talk. You run us through some photos okay. and just tell us what's going on here. Okay, look, um, this is our... Like this, I'm one of, there's nothing special about this landscape. It's basically just photos of our medical centre. But this is our life week by week. Um, we've just run them through quite quickly. Tilopia Medical Centre... Just fitted out um, fairly recently. Just keep on going through. That's all brand new, right? Brand new, yeah. Marco, thanks, Marco, for fitting it out for us. Um, we've got Lidcombe now. Do you want to just run that? Yeah, Lid- uh, Lidcombe um, is uh, yeah probably a bit slightly higher socioeconomic class than uh, than where the Tothopia practice is, but still fairly uh, low. Uh, lower sort of socioeconomic and working class, uh, fairly ethnic. Oh, so is that Tilopia? Yeah. But um, one of the challenges for myself is, uh, yeah, a lot of Chinese-speaking people, so I've had to brush up on my Cantonese. That's, uh, that's yeah, Lidcombe's being developed quite a lot, so this is one of the older parts. Um, but, yeah, so it'll probably change in the next 10, 20 years. Um, it already has in the last 10. That's the inside... And that's the last one. That's us. That's the, that's, the, that's the crowd. Jade's working as practice manager and Kathy's also a doctor. We'll be working in those practices. What's the name of your business, Pete? It's One Step Medical. And why is it called One Step Medical? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's this whole process. So basically, I, I've been planning and thinking and breathing this for the last six years. I did my business plan six years ago and... There's been many, many roadblocks along the way, many times in which God has kind of um, closed doors, many times in which I've just been at the lowest point possible. Um, Through that whole time, I guess God has taught me a lot of things. 
one of the big things is that just by nature of my personality, I think 10, 15 years down the track, I might make lots of future plans. You know this, you've um, dealt with me many times. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and, it, and, and I just charge through things, trying to do my own plans. And God's been <laughs> crushing me throughout this whole time. Um, and it got to a point, it's quite ironic, uh, it's quite interesting, because it, it took me, it was only about, Jade, when was it? About four, just before we actually, just before Sam came on board, maybe about four months ago, or something like that, five months ago, that Jade basically just said to me, just take it one step at a time. And even though she's been telling me, just trust God, trust God, all throughout this time, it only just hit me then, it actually really got to me that, hey, I can't think ahead. Every time I'm thinking ahead, not that there's anything bad about being visionary and thinking the future, but for me personally, when I think ahead, I lose my trust in God, and I try to run things the way I want to. And God is saying, no, that's not what you need to do, Pete Chong. So, um, yeah, it hit me really hard. Now, every time we call it our practice after that, one-step medical, um, as a reminder that, hey, let's just make every decision one step at a time, let God do his work. It's not our thing. It's not our business. It's God's work. Okay, so now your business is up and running. You've got tilopia firing away there. You're getting your feet into Lidcombe. How's, how's the last month been? Sam, how's the last month been? Because you're off and running, boys. Yeah, it's been very busy. It feels like we've done one or two months' work. Uh, uh, we've done probably about six months' work in the space of one or two months. Um, yeah, we just, we just want a break. Um, I think Pete told me yesterday very to comfort me that he'd had his relatively easy week that just passed. I'm still kind of waiting for mine, but it'll come. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a long haul. I mean, it's been really good. I didn't really know Pete that well before, um, before church camp. So it was about four months ago. Um, now, like, Kathy and myself have gotten to know Pete and Jade very, very well. It's like we're married together. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen, um, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, there's been, obviously, the, in the stress of everything, there's been lots of arguments, but, um, yeah, I think we've, we've all, yeah, sort of in a married way, learned to forgive each other and also really unite over the things that, that, um, that, we, that we both believe in. Yeah. What sacrifices have you guys made? What's, what's it cost you? Because, frankly, let's be blunt... You're young doctors, both GPs, you're setting up a medical centre, Kathy's a doctor, Jade's a physiotherapist, like, big deal, you know? So you're young doctors setting up a medical practice. This is what doctors do. So um, have there been any unique sacrifices you've made for uh, the sake of kingdom and mission? I think as soon as we start to push ourselves out of our comfort zone and to think, how can I serve God in a different way? I guess by nature, most of us, and this is the way I used to think, were, most of us would be just, hey, my secular work, I'll just be um, working as hard as I can, being a good Christian doctor, but most of my mission, most of my service is going to be affiliated with the church on the Sunday. That's what I've always done, that's what most of us do. But as soon as we try to stick ourselves um, and think holistically about it and push ourselves out of our comfort zone. And to be honest, working in the secular world, doing mission out of our turf in the secular world is hard, is hard. As soon as we do that, then life gets hard 
a little bit physically what Sam was saying, but emotionally, for me, life has been, that's been the biggest sacrifices. Um, just when things don't go right, stresses when, uh, with, with, with family and so forth. Um, so many times I've gone to God, why are you doing this? Why are you letting such and such happen? Um, but through that, on the positive side, God has been allowing things to happen to slowly chip away at me, grow me in my trust for him, smash down my pride to make me a servant who's more ready to serve him for his kingdom purposes. Let me, let me be a bit more specific then. Uh, you're setting up a practice, you're, both, you're planning to explicitly bulk bill, only bulk bill, this is what I understand, you can tell me if I'm wrong, because you're in very, you've, you've chosen to go to very, very needy areas with lots of very dysfunctional patients, particularly in tilopia. You could have had far more comfortable, easier patients with greater outcomes. It's also been a big sacrifice setting up, and you're planning, planning we're going to have to see how this works, you're planning to run a non-profit and give out of your practice as well as you can as part of the practice plan. That's what I'm understanding. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's the plan. Yes, um, correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, kind, just kind of. Kind, yes, kind of. Um, yeah, 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 that, that'll do. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, well, what I'm saying is I think they are intentional sacrifices for two young doctors who could be setting themselves up in high, mm. non-bulk billing practices because you're mm. both quite competent, quite likeable people too. Thanks, John. Um, so, <laughs> love these compliments you're giving us. I'm not supposed to be answering your questions. <laughs> what role does church play or has church played? What role do you want church to play? Because here's one of my convictions, Pennant Hills. When you do mission outside of our mission structures, you are doing a ministry of Pennant Hills Baptist Church because you are part of this church. And it's, mission's not about what we do in terms of our church ministries. It's about what we as a community do for God's kingdom. And so I believe what these guys are doing is a ministry of Pennant Hills Baptist Church. We're not investing in it, it's their business, but we're supporting them so they can minister. Uh, so let me, I've given my blue. What, what do you see as your, um, what, what role do you want church to play or has church played? Oh, there's a good photo up there. So um, that's basically the day that we set up and um, we are so thankful for the numbers of people from our church who came along and gave us a hand, we're just setting it up. To us, physical help, yeah, that's cool, but it's more the emotional, this is the way we felt, it's more the emotional support that we get. I think because often non-church ministries or non-Sunday affiliated ministries kind of go under the radar a little bit and on one level aren't as valued as much. So from our point of view, if we see a church who values ministry that does not go on necessarily within the church, then to us, and values us by support, by prayer, by asking how things are going, by realising, yes, we are sacrificing a fair bit of time um, elsewhere, which may mean that we at times won't be able to sacrifice as much for church teams and so forth, then I think that's the greatest and most helpful way the church can be supporting us in doing what we're doing. Do you want us to hold you accountable? Yes, indeed. Do you want, Sam, do you want us to hold you accountable? Definitely. Uh, I was just going to add to that that I think, yeah, even though we feel like we've gone through a pretty rough couple of months, I'm pretty sure there's going to be many more ahead. And I think a lot of the time we will be tempted to think, um, oh, man, this is so hard. Um, but little, little sort of... Um, 
uh, what thoughts of pride will come in and go, oh, but at least we're doing more than that person, or um, we've given all this up, and I'm such a good person because I've sacrificed all that. I think that's the last thing we want to think. Um, and so I guess, yeah, what we'd like is for you to keep us accountable. When, when, when we may tell you our struggles or the difficult times, it's good to hear sympathy and empathy, but what we really need is, is to be kept, kept humble in those circumstances and to know that, well, you know, all these things, you've chosen to give them up. Uh, more importantly, in the, in, the, in, the, in the context of, you know, G- our, our saviour Jesus having given up his entire life to save us, these sacrifices are very, you know, pretty tiny. Um, so, yeah, I think we need to be kept accountable. And, and the other thing is um, joining us in mission. Everybody has their own mission field. I'm thinking about, from a secular point of view, those who go to work, we've all got our own mission field and we all got our own, as John was saying, our own opportunities to be serving God, to be thinking, how can I be serving God more or serving with God more in my mission field? What opportunities has he given us? What skills or gifts has he given us to be serving God there? The more of us as a church that we're doing that, that's just, hey, we've got fellow brothers and sisters doing the same work in their own landscape, in their own context, and for us that is a huge encouragement. One of the challenges, I think, is that you're running a business. It's early days. Businesses are businesses. And so it's just going to be hard. I'm going to hold you accountable to keeping your kingdom focus in your business so you don't end up just running a business. Yes. Um, so, and that will work out over time. And your relationships, early days in your marriage, you've had a few fights, but, you know, they're <laughs> going to continue. <laughs> what challenges do you still see in front of you then? Last question. What challenges to be missional, kingdom, not work business challenges to be missional? Maybe I've just answered that for you. Uh, I don't know if this is the only, well, it's definitely not the only one, but for me, just this morning in particular, um, I think one challenge is to just want to have no more challenges, to mm. sort of just, oh, man, I just cannot wait till I can just be working from, what, when, when are our opening hours? Nine till six, whatever it is. It's <laughs> 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 a lot to learn now, isn't it? <laughs> um, and just not wanting... To yeah, just wanting to sort of bring in the bills mm. and uh, bring in the you know the the billings and and just get by. Um, I think Jules mentioned it on return from Taiwan that yeah we, we don't want to be in that cruise control yeah. stage. When life becomes easy, then we stop growing. Mm. Mm. Pete, take a seat. I'm going to leave you, and we'll see him. You can stay with us. Oh, I was going to ask just quickly, Natasha. You're an occupational therapist. They're doing great mission work. Couldn't you join their mission? We'll pay, we'll pay you more than you're getting paid now. It's a serious question. Why not? Is this not mission? Is this not for the kingdom? Why not, Tash? <laughs> yeah, Tash, why not? Come on. Mum and Dad, you be quiet. <laughs> um, to- totally is mission. Um, I think what I've had to think about is uh, opportunity that I have and um, the way that God's built me and seeing that um, I can use, I have the capacity to use that in a more full-time kind of capacity. Um, so just as good as it would be to be an OT and continue working as an OT in a hospital or even a missions guys, 
Um, yeah, I think I can see that my time can be used in a fuller way, uh, spending it sharing the gospel with people, more explicitly. Yeah. Okay, good. Pete, take a seat. And Sonia, can Sonia come and join us? Everybody, if you don't know Sonia, you've got to get to know Sonia. Every, a lot of us do. Everybody who knows Sonia loves her. She's just such an encouragement. She's such a... Yeah, everybody's nodding their heads. It's not just me, Sonia. <laughs> She's such an encouragement. She loves Jesus so much. She just always is, is, is good to be with, and it's a real encouragement. Let me tell you about Sonia. Sonia has been around this church for a long, long, long time. That's why many of us love her. She's got a real heart for the Lord. She works in the city. She catches a train in every morning for a big law firm, uh, Spark, Spark Hellman? Hellmore, Spark Hellmore. You know, but it's one of the, they have 500 employees in every city in, in Australia. Sonia's in information management and she currently works on the, leads the information team. So if you're a lawyer, you need information. Well, Sonia's a good place to go she, to, to get that. One of the things that's always struck me about Sonia, and I've had conversations with her about this in the past, is she sees her work as her mission field. Yes, she works in a very, very intense corporate environment, but it's her mission field. And I've, you know, I've even encouraged her to consider leaving work and doing a tash, and she's, she says, oh, no, 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 it's, uh, I've got such great opportunities here. And she has, she's very, very gifted. So, yeah, run us through some photos. Tell us a bit about your mission landscape. Yes, so that, that first uh, building there, the one of the building, is where we're going to be moving in January. The firm has been in Kent Street, and in January we're moving back into Martin Place, so right in the hub of the city there, and we'll spend most of our time in that building. The next photo there just shows you the city. Anyone working there at the moment will know it is so fast-paced. There are so many people. It's a building site and it's very frenetic. <laughs> uh, so that's a very big part of the day. That next picture there is of the website that uh, my, my team helps to manage. The law firm is made up of lots of bosses because of the partnership model. Uh, so there's lots of politics and it's constant. <laughs> but there's some really lovely people in there. I've been there for over 10 years now. So, so that person, Belinda, on the, the homepage there, she's become a partner. But there's lots of fantastic relationships across the firm because you spend so much time there and these people uh, really want to engage with your life. So, so that's a blessing. And this photo is of, of Penno Life. And, yeah, I've had great privilege of being at this church and having so many opportunities to uh, be involved in what God is doing uh, in this community. And Penno Life is just such an exciting part of that. And I remember this one with Tasha's arms up the front there and doing our, um, our memory verse song and just all those kids. And, and what a blessing to see how God has answered our prayer and continues to answer our prayers in how we can impact our community. How does your sense of mission... <laughs> how does your sense of mission... Like, you're working in a law firm, you're doing lots within our church. What's that got to do with Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? Yes. So, I mean, that's a question I ask myself all the time, and I've certainly asked it a lot in, you know, maybe five to ten years prior to this, I'd constantly be saying to God, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? And I really felt God say to me at one point, my child, I don't want you in any place other than where you are. 
you know, he has equipped us in the place that we are. Get a bit emotional about this. <laughs> um, he's equipped us in the place that we are to serve him. So it's a, it was really encouraging to hear that and to just know that God will let his power flow for us wherever we are. Yep. It seems to me, you talked about your politics at work. I mean, lawyers get a bit of a bad name, but it's, it's a little bit like you're in the shark tank, you're swimming yeah. with the sharks yep. in a highly corporatised yes. Sydney where legal firms and accounting yep. firms, the big ones in the city, demand blood all the time. Yep. Um, <laughs> how do you maintain a faithful Christian witness in such an aggressive... The money stakes are high in a big law firm... The politics stakes are high in a big mm. law firm. How do you maintain a, a, a consistent Christian witness in such an aggressive place? Yeah, uh, you really feel, and every worker knows, we're on a stage, and that stage is getting bigger. Because in workplaces today, like, like my firm, when we move to that building, we're going to have less space, and everybody's going to be crammed in. Every single moment of your life is on display. And so one thing that I do... Uh, and that God's led me to do is to ask him every day to allow me to be his witness there, to be, to be Christ-like there. And that takes me coming to him and committing every meeting, every interaction to him because I know people are watching me every day. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a daily thing. Also been doing a bit of work outside of hours so that I can be as available to people as possible, trying to keep the team environment really peaceful uh, it involves you not always being, uh, you know, liked by people because you're not involved in the politics, you're not involved in the gossip, your boss wants you to potentially manage somebody out of the team but you want to, to actually um, give them another go. So it means that you're, you're different uh, and you need God's help to allow you to, to stand out. If I can go back to that thing you were getting emotional about, you being in God's place... Mm. Sam's a doctor. He is helping people who need help. Tash is sharing, equipping herself and taking opportunity to share the gospel and to go out from here. You are keeping sharks employed in a... Um, I'm being a bit provocative, but you know, you're, you're in the shark tank, so to speak. You're keeping super well-paid yeah. people, probably getting a pretty good income yourself um, in a highly corporate environment where it's aggressive and it's dog-eat-dog. Why aren't you there, Sonia? Yeah, because I really feel that God has equipped each one of us and placed each one of us in the particular place where he wants us to reach out to people who have a need there. And in that dog-eat-dog environment, I'm finding that a lot of the conversations that I'm having with, with the directors, they've seen that by God's grace, I can... Uh, with his help, achieve things, achieve projects. And when those things get tough and you're in your director's office and they say, we're not going to get this through, I've actually said to them, I believe in God. He's sovereign. And if this is best for the organisation, it will get through. And my mum and I have prayed about this. And when, when it gets through, despite what everybody else has said, he said, somebody must be helping us. And so you get these opportunities in adversity and in tough political situations to actually go and talk to the director, go and talk to the risk manager, go and talk to the compliance manager who thinks they're going to lose their job and say, I believe in a sovereign God who is just as much in control here and in this whole circumstance as he is in, in you know, the, the so-called Christian environment. And that opens eyes to people. My director does not have any Christian friends. 
He has nobody to ask that of. And we have many people around us who don't have anyone they can ask these questions of. They don't come to church, they may never do so. But we are there to shine so that when the times get tough, and they will, we have an opportunity to share the hope that we have and the eternal um, home that we have. It shouldn't surprise many of us that Sonia's shared her faith many, many times with her work colleagues and seen some of them come to faith. And uh, I'm, I'm always encouraged when I hear her work conversations. What do you, have to, what do you still have to... What do you still have to work on? Are, yeah. are, you, are you there yet, Sonia, in terms of living a missional <laughs> life in your context? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, there's just a daily challenge to, to get up <laughs> and to commit each day to God and to be prepared to put in the extra effort so that I can be more available, to carry more of the load, to not be popular, uh, to not hold on to your rights for an office, for your honour, when people take credit for your work. All of those things come up come up daily. I'm certainly not yet, and God has a lot of work, as you guys were sharing, to, to do with me. Uh, so, yeah. What about church? What, what role? Because you actually do a lot here for the kingdom as well. Like you're, We're talking a lot about Spark Hellman, yep. but you do a lot here for the kingdom. What role does church play in your attempts to build your whole life around God's kingdom purpose? Yeah, well, well God has helped me to, uh, to be able to make choices so that I am more available here for church too, um, as much as I can possibly be. Church is amazing. I mean, to, to come here and have so many opportunities to serve and be stretched and to learn how God wants to grow you is, is a real blessing. To come out of the shark tank <laughs> and into church is just such a privilege because with Penna Life having, you know, 74 of us come on team and have people want to give of themselves willingly, you didn't have to sort of push them, micromanage, you know, it's an amazing experience. It is beautiful and to have to be treated in the right way by every you know member of the congregation to see male leadership respected and honored not pulled down it's beautiful it's really wonderful it's the taste of heaven it's great thanks Sonia I will I hope you're all hanging in there I'm enjoying this I know we're getting on in time but I want us to talk to Ed Ironside and I'll move you all one seat left so could Ed could you come and um Ed and his wife Barbara and family have been at this church since too many years ago and um, 35 <laughs> years, 35 years, so that's just fantastic. Ed, Ed's always been a man that I've had an enormous amount of respect for as a godly man. He's, um, he worked for in shipping around Australia for many, many years, had many overseas trips and other dislocation with that, with his work. He taught Sunday school for many, many years here and other ministries has led a Bible study here for many, many years. When he retired, one of the big things about it is when he retired, him and his wife Barbara then gave two or three days a week serving out with what was called Christian Nationals or CNEC, is now called Partners or World Share. It's now called, they keep changing their name, World Share, which basically is a Christian group which tries to bless others through aid and through sharing the gospel, through supporting national workers. So not here, here's what we do over you there, but you're doing that, let us support you and, and raise funds here in Australia for that. So Ed and Barbara did that for many, many years. He's no longer doing it. At the moment, Ed's bar wife, Barbara, is, uh, is quite sick. She has uh, uh, blood cancer. She's getting radiation treatment at the moment. She needs a lot of care from Ed. 
He's got a large family, many children, many grandchildren, and he's, we don't, he's not involved in church anything like he was. He was church secretary for a number of years. He's not in working with partners international like he was. He's pretty much looking after his family and holding, being a patriarch is what I would say. Ed, run us through some photos. Okay, this is a picture here of Dr. Joe Lucy uh, with me. He was, uh, this was taken in May this year at uh, Sonic Health at North Ride. Um, one of my daughters works there and I heard that uh, Sonic Health has been a great supporter of Joe's work in Goma in, Dem in the Democratic Republic of Nigeria. Um, now, Congo. I first came... Not Nigeria. Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, I first came in contact with Joe uh, several years ago through CNEC Partners, as it was called then, uh, which incidentally was headed up uh, in years gone by by one of our elders in this church, Arthur Sindel and, uh, and, and Mary. Anyway, um, yeah, so... They do that work, uh, they, they've got a hospital in Goma and uh, that does a lot of work for the Lord and uh, for the improvement of health of those people there. Right, next one. Okay, this is, uh, this is my, our Bible study group uh, having uh, a birthday celebration actually. Uh, this has been... A, this Bible study group, this is interesting. When I first came to this church, uh, we had a Bible study group. We always had a Bible study group from when I was in the church in Melbourne and we started one here and, and, and this has been going, this little group is, a, is a, sort of something that started about 35, 36 years ago in Sydney and uh, it's now just about... The wheels are probably falling off the cart now because of sickness and old age and, and, and various other things. But nonetheless, we still get together and have that fellowship in the Lord and, uh, and help each other uh, come to grips with, with, God, with what God means in our daily lives and our family's daily lives. Right, let's go on to the next one. Uh, this is a, a picture of my family my children and all my grandchildren. I think there's 12 grandchildren, five children I've got there. Uh, they're a mission in themselves in a way. <laughs> Two of those children are severely handicapped. Uh, they need a lot of help. Uh, but it is important, and I would like to make this point, it's important with you in this congregation as parents or grandparents, to pray daily for your children and your grandchildren, that God's hand will be on them, blessing them and guiding them. It's a difficult world they live in. It's a marvellous world in technologically, but there's lots of, uh, lots of traps for these young people today, and they need your prayers. And uh, pray for your children. Let them know how much you love them. Ed, um, in one sense you've had a relatively normal life. You've worked a good career. You've retired. 
and uh, you've now got children and grandchildren. So what sacrifices have you made for the kingdom? Because you've actually pretty, lived a pretty good life, haven't you? Yeah, I, I think that that's true. I, we're, we're blessed just to live in this country and I realised that once I started living overseas, you sort of realise just what we call it the lucky country. We've been so blessed here. And I don't think the average Australian really understands uh, what we've got. Uh, yeah. Where are we going? Um, sacrifices. What have you got? Sacrifices. sacrifices. Okay. Um, interesting word, sacrifice. I think I was thinking about this during the week and thinking, well, sacrifice. I, I haven't really had to make a lot of sacrifices, and if I have, was like yesterday, I was thinking, well, I'm not watching the football, I'm here listening to John's talks. Uh, That's a sacrifice. Oh, now, now, for some, that might be a sacrifice, but I thought to myself afterwards, well, really, uh, I'd rather be... Sacrifice becomes serving, and serving then becomes a privilege. You see where I'm going with that? That's the Christian life, isn't it? That's the Christian life. And uh, when, when we walk with the Lord, uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, let, let me say, you've, you've, you've taught at Sunday school and other things many, many years. I know from, partly from experience and from being, spending time with you, you're a very, very generous person with time and with money. Um, I also know that when you retired, you didn't want to waste your time and you went and used your time to serve Christian ministry so that people would be blessed in the name of Jesus in much, much poorer areas like the Cong Democratic Republic of Congo. And now you are sacrificing greatly to look after, might just be normal life, but you're doing it, you're sacrificing greatly to look after a family with special needs and particularly your wife Barbara who has very many needs at the moment. Yes. Yes. Good answer, John. <laughs> Good answer, Ed, too. <laughs> um, what's, what, what's, what's church been like for you in your, the spectrum of your life? What role has church played and has it played the role you'd like to encourage you to be missional, mission-minded? There are three things that I, I, I guess... Um, the Bible, prayer and church fellowship... Uh, to lead the Christian life, you need to be continually looking at God's word. If you missed everything else today, just remember to read God's word with understanding. Secondly, pray, communicate to God. Have time with him each day. Thirdly, seek the fellowship of other believers. Um, just on that point, um, lots of believers in this church over the years have been fantastic to me. When I've been overseas, we've received letters, letters of encouragement from elders in this church. And, uh, and when I'd be working sometimes, the phone would ring at my desk. And this is when I was working with TNT in town. I'd pick up the phone and it would be Arthur and Mary... They're saying, we're just having a little prayer time together. Is there something you'd like us to pray for right now? Hey, that's amazing. People, people in this congregation were so concerned about me and my family. Uh, pray for one another. 
some of these people here need a lot of prayer. Listen, you, you heard what they came out with, uh, some of the problems, uh, setting up a business. Uh, where's it all going? Yeah. Um, yeah, pray for one another. It's so important, this fellowship. And as Johnny said last week in his sermon, we're brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This girl sitting next to me here, Sonia, she's like a sister in Christ to me and has been in this church for years, supporting me in the Sunday school along with the sister Jane who's sitting down the back there. Fantastic. (laughs) Ed, so now you're, let's face it, you're quite a bit older now. You've got your own health struggles. Your wife, Barbara, has been quite sick. She's almost full-time care. Has your days of mission... Has God got anything more for you? Is it all over? I think, I think uh, God's got things to me to do till they, they put the last screw in the coffin. <laughs> 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 and they're they, they probably even beyond the, beyond the grave. I just... I could say something a bit more about that Joe Lucy, Dr Joe. He sacrificed a lot. Uh, he he was trained as a doctor, I think, in, in, in Belgium. Uh, young doctors here might be interested in this. And uh, he thought, well, this is great. I, I can make a fortune here. And his father said to him, listen, have you thought about coming back to the Congo and, 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 and serving amongst your own people? Oh, he thought about that for a little while and thought, well, oh, I won't make much money doing that. But uh, this gradually grew on him. But one of the things that happened in his life, can I tell a quick short story? A very quick short story. There were three missionaries. No, a missionary couple went out to Congo. Uh, they had a. Ch- they just got married. They had a child. Very quickly, the child died. The wife died, and then the husband died. No conversions, no, nobody came to Christ. There were three graves in Congo, in the ground, three missionaries. Joe saw these graves. Joe looked at them and thought, why did these people come, give up all this wonderful life in England, come out here and live amongst us and die? That challenge led him to Christ. That challenge led him to become a doctor and set up a hospital in Goma doing a fantastic work. One question I'm going to ask all of you now. Ephesians 2 says God's prepared good works in advance for us to walk in. I want to ask, what do you see as your calling? Specifically, what do you think God has given you to walk into to do good things for his kingdom and his glory? We'll start with Ed and we'll just go along the line. What is your calling, Ed, that God has for you from here on, as best you can tell? To serve him and to glorify his name. And what will that look like specifically? (laughs) To be a witness uh, to my children, to my grandchildren, to my friends in this fellowship and whoever I come in contact with. My wife's, even though she's sick, she's fantastic the way she rings people up. And in the hospital when she meets people, she tells them, about Jesus in her own way. Her walk tells them about her problem. Yeah. And they pray for, you pray for the pastor and his wife too, don't you? I pray for the pastors and their wives I pray every day. Every day. 
Yeah. With his wife, Barbara. Yeah. That's good mission, everybody. Yeah. Sonia, what's your calling? Uh, yes, I really feel the, the you know, burden to be a witness wherever we are, wherever we're placed, whether it's in my workplace or in the other spheres of family and, and here at church. At work, uh, God has given me another Christian alongside of me and we're moving into more of the centre of the city. I really feel that that will change the way we intentionally pray to be able to take more people to, to events. But also in regards to Penno Life, I, or in all of our ministries here, I feel that they can grow exponentially and I really feel God challenging me to be more sacrificial in the way that I join in the intercession of Christ and bring down more blessing and be more, yeah, more sacrificial in that because I feel that it will really change our world, that prayer and, and sacrifice. Sam, what is your calling? Um, not sure if it's calling per se, but the way... Um, I sort of frame the purpose of my work is to make people see that their life is valuable and worth worth saving, obviously, by Jesus. Um, for my work as a doctor, that probably starts at people valuing their health, um, but not just their physical health, their, their, actual, their actual worth as, as, a, as, a, as a human being and therefore a life that is worth being saved because I think I guess, especially in certain areas that tend to be less well-off, but across all of Sydney, across the whole world, the, the people who don't recognise um, their need to be saved, I think that's where it begins. Natasha? Um, I think it looks like being faithful, uh, being faithful in study, because that's what day-to-day, Monday to Friday looks like, but being faithful in... Um, using every opportunity that I have and every opportunity that God gives me to proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus amongst university students in Sydney, in another part of Australia and another part of the world, whatever that may be. Good. One last question. Ed, you're the patriarch here. You've done the Christian life. You've done mission for many years. I want you to give one piece of advice to each of these three people as they continue in their mission. I want you to be specific to Sonia, to Sam... To Natasha. That's a hard call, John. (laughs) (laughs) Sonia, you spoke uh, about being a witness in the office. To be a witness, God calls us, and you know this. I'm teaching Granny how to suck eggs. But anyway, um, to be a witness and a good witness... You need to be a holy person. And to be holy, uh, how do you achieve that? Um, so try to be holy. Try to be, seek God's strength to keep you holy and, and be that witness. Because in an office like where you work, I think I can understand, you'll find people will come to you for counsel. They're watching you. They're watching every decision you make. They're watching everything you do. And one day, sometimes, you just get surprised that they come up and say, listen, what's, what's this all about? And you have that opportunity. May God bless you. Sam. I don't know Sam very much. I've met, he hands me bags of stamps to help the charity. <laughs> but, he, but he's got a lovely smile, hasn't he? <laughs> Uh, 
I was thinking about Arthur and Mary. Uh, Mary, I, I drove Mary to CNEC World Share for 10 years and used to have her in, captive in the car to and from there for it's probably an hour each way. And one of the things she said to me, her and Arthur, they would never go to bed, uh, never let the sun set on their anger. Now, I know, it's n you get two strong personalities like Mary and Arthur were, they would have had some quite strong differences of opinion. Now, you might all think, oh, well, hang on, they're Christians. How, can't, how can this happen? It happens. It does happen. And uh, it's, Mary said it took us a while, but we always learned to resolve our differences, and it often meant giving away a lot uh, before we went to sleep. Yeah. So... Uh, I, I did hear something that could have been along those lines. Uh, oh, a couple of other things I could say. Um, One or two. Yeah. Winding it along. <laughs> in, in, in life's way, I, I once met a fellow called Dr. Wilf Jarvis. He was a lecturer in psychology, brilliant man. But um, what he said uh, was that don't don't in, in management, he's talking about, we were talking about management and illust, uh, at administration, don't give, um, what would you say, um, things like saying to a person, if you put uh, tomato sauce on my sausage roll, I'll never speak to you again. Uh, don't, don't ever entertain people who do that. Uh, don't do it to your own children. Don't do it to your uh, clients or, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Natasha. Natasha. I don't know, yesterday morning I read a passage from the Bible uh, and I read some notes from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Hebrews 1.14, and it spoke about angels, Tash. And I'd never really thought about this, but Spurgeon sort of said, do you realise that you're never alone? You've got thousands of holy beings around you in all you're doing, and I just pray that that'll be for you each day. Thank you very much, Ed. Give them all a clap. Johnny's going to come up and lead us in prayer. Always found it funny that we bang our hands together to show our appreciation. Probably more appropriate that we pray, because uh, that's significant and real, and we'll be a privilege to be able to support our brothers and sisters in their mission. Let's pray. Father, we think first of Tash. And we pray for her and for us that you keep on teaching us to keep on sharing our lives with the people you put us with, whether it's with Christian people or with non-Christian people. For, help us to have that genuineness and that integrity of, of life and faith uh, that, that Tasha's been speaking to us about. We pray that you'd bless her and her work with these overseas students and help her to train them well and to model to them good Christian teaching and life as they go back home. And Father, for wherever life will take Tash, wherever you will send her, even if that be far from comforts and familiarity, we pray that you would help her to do that with joy 
uh, that you would give her uh, real fellowship and, 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 and love and a sense of us sending her in those places to alert other people to the reign of Jesus. Father, help us with that as well uh, in, the, in the loneliness that you send us to. Help us to know that we are never really alone because uh, we have each other and we have you. Uh, but support her in that, Father, we pray. Father, we think of Sam and Pete uh, and for Kathy and for Jade and we ask that uh, as they keep on working at One Step Medical in the other place, that you would uh, keep on helping them to be reminded that they trust you and each step of the way is, is a step that you lead them, that it's your work. In the busyness, Father, we pray that you would help them to be wise, to take breaks, give them that rest, Father, particularly for Sam, as he's, it sounds like he needs one. And Father, in the, in, in the challenge of this, we thank you, Father, that you're stretching them, that you're pushing them, that you're breaking down their pride, that you're teaching them so many things about what it means to be your servant. We pray that as they sacrifice emotional comfort, financial gain and all these things and take on so much stress that you would also bless their work, that you would give them uh, a real, uh, the privilege of being able to see the fruit of their work. Help us, Father, to support them emotionally, to help them keep accountable and to encourage them to keep on serving. Father, we think of Sonia and we pray that you would continue to help us to be a refreshment to her. As she meets with us on a Sunday and throughout the week, help us to be a real joy to her, to strengthen her for the task that she has, to send her out into her workforce, uh, into her workplace. Father, we pray that, I guess we are on stage to the watching world, we ask for Sonia that you would help her to every day continue to prepare herself to face every interaction, every meeting, every interview, committing all of that to you. Father, help her to be a person of peace in an, in an environment of often harsh things, Help her to be able to stay away from politics and gossip where possible and to be different to other people. Father, use us where we are and help us to have the power to do the work that you would have us do. And there's so much need. We think even in the corporate world where there's so many broken people, we pray that you would help her to be able to demonstrate and announce what you do, your sovereignty and your goodness. Father, we pray that you would uh, continue to be with Ed as he serves and as he sacrifices of himself. Thank you, Father, that you've shown him and you've shown us through him that sacrifice really turns into service, which is really a real privilege. It's every breath that we take. Thank you, Father, that you've taught him that and through him taught us. And we pray that for someone like Ed, who's, I guess, normalized that part of Christian life in his everyday, that you would continue to be a real blessing to others through him. Help us to continue to support each other. Father, bless all the ministries of our church. And I'm not talking about the Sunday things, but everywhere where we go this week, we ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.